2: The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. Bills
3: make me wanna Jump. First goal into the end zone. It's Mark Ingram for a Saints touchdown on second down. It's Ingram. He's in. His second touchdown today. The goal from the five on the toss. It's Kamara, and he is in for a touchdown. That's the goal from the Bills' three. Following the interception, it's Ingram. There's a flag as Ingram takes it in for his third touchdown today. to throw. He's going to learn it. <laughs> Why not? He's in. Touchdown. Touchdown for Kamara. Drew Greaves with a rushing touchdown as Daniel hands it off, and Edmonds will take it all the way. Trey Edmonds, his first NFL score, and a record sixth rushing touchdown for the New Orleans Saints.
4: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Powell Report podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bill Season Ticket Holder, Drew here. To my right, my producer Chris Kruger, and that was Kenny Albert and Rondé Barber from Fox Sports. Guys, you know what? Everything's great. Everything's great. It's a Tuesday. I've got a beer in my hand. I'm talking football. Everything's great, right, Chris? Nothing could possibly be going wrong. I mean, what is it? What could possibly be wrong in the universe today?
2: Nothing. I'm fine with that loss. Of
4: course. I? Because you don't care. You no, don't do care really, the
2: way most of us I do. do care. I don't care about the, I don't mind that we lost. I mind about the performance.
4: Oh, I want to come across this table at you. Folks, Sunday was one of the most aggravating parts of my entire, inter- uh, inter- I thought that getting hot sauce in my eye last Tuesday, I thought that hurt. I thought that was pain. And then I went to the stadium on Sunday and watched the Buffalo Bills play the New Orleans Saints. I mean, what, f- f- fire and brimstone doesn't even do it justice, Chris. Human sacrifice, dogs and
3: cats living together, mass hysteria.
4: I mean, at one point, the moment that I knew I had to leave, I- I'm not ashamed to say that I left that game early. And the moment that I Second knew... Second time this season. The moment that I knew I needed to leave the game, this time it wasn't fan-related. This time it was because on third and short... Okay, third and short. Come on, Bills. Stand up. It's the We're five minutes into the third quarter. Do something. Show some life. They allow a 19-yard gain where no one touches the running back for probably a good nine yards. And I balled up my fists and slammed them against the bleachers so hard that the powder-coated... I mean, those bleachers are painted with a powder coating. It's not a true paint. They do that because it's weather-resistant, impact-resistant, temperature-resistant. I hit the bleachers so hard that the paint came off on my gloves. And people, three, four feet in any direction, had that wide-eyed look like this guy is come off the rails. Oh, my God.
2: Or that you're a problem to society.
4: And I decided that in that moment, I couldn't do it anymore. I needed to go find a beer, and I couldn't do it in the stadium. So I, I, I excused myself so as not to disrupt everyone else's afternoon. And then I did what I do best, Chris, is I drank on it. I drank on it.
2: So did I. Oh. I couldn't wa- I watched the whole thing, so I couldn't I couldn't do it without the assistance of alcohol.
4: And this week's podcast would be difficult to talk about if we didn't have some assistance. So to help us recap Sunday and kind of work our way through this, you know, this seven stages of grief, we have with us tonight Rob Quinn from USA Today. Rob, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Rob Thank you so much for appearing on our show. I really need a hand this week because I couldn't force myself to sit through. Usually I do some critiquing. I, I go back. I, I rewatch the game. I watch some of the All-22 footage. I kind of, for my own theses on things, why they worked, why they didn't. This week, thinking about it made me want to vomit. So <laughs> I'm really hoping you can step in here and give me a hand.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean... There's really not many positives to take away from that game other than the fact that it ended. And
4: <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you, set, you hit the nail on the head. Folks, Rob Quinn, for those of you who are new to the show, what are you not, what is your official title over at Billswire? Uh,
1: managing editor of Billswire.com, we're part of USA Today's sports media group, Uh We have an NFL wire network, sites for all 32 teams, a draft website, and then a whole NFL site as well. So we kind of just cover everything, bills related, throughout the game, throughout the week, anything you need to know that happens, anytime someone says anything, you want a preview, a recap, uh, some opinions. That's basically where you want to go to find your information.
2: I know that you're going to come back on our show during draft season to talk about the linebackers because I'm not going to let Drew – (laughs) <laughs> down that he whiffed on milano and you were a fan of milano
4: folks he definitely knows his stuff and then you've also got a podcast rob you, you've started podcasting you and kyle selagi that's been going well you've had a number of guests including one of the most infamous guests in podcast uh, i'd say podcast history adolphus washington you got him on the show he sounds like you guys had a great time i urge all of our listeners to go check it out where can they find it Rob?
1: Uh, you can find it on iTunes, the Bills Wire podcast, Audio Boom, Podbean, really anywhere you find your podcast. We're on there.
4: Fantastic! I mean, he does player interviews. He gets—I mean, he's—he's he's incredible. On top of he does all of this on top of the sixty-two hundred articles that he pumps out a week. God bless! God bless you, Rob. This—you know what? Cheers to Rob. <laughs> Uh, So let's kick this thing off, folks. Let's get right into the meat and potatoes of the show with this week's Bills News
3: Update.
4: We're going to start off with a topic that's a little, uh, I don't know, some people are sensitive to it, some people aren't. The players are once again speaking out against Thursday Night Football. Now, after the Bills' disastrous loss to the New York Jets in Week 9, Reggie Incognito made some waves. He had the following statement in regards to Thursday night football
1: it's tough, man These Thursday night games they suck. They throw a, a wrench in our schedule. It's uh, It's uh, It's absolutely ridiculous that uh, we have to do this um, As physical as this game is and as as much work and Preparation that that goes into this to, to force us to play games on four-day weeks. It's it's completely unfair and uh, bullshit And you know whatever The league makes money off of it And uh, that's all they care about anyway So we, uh, we just keep trucking I mean we got a tough group of guys in this locker room And uh, back to the
2: drawing board Back to Buffalo And uh, got the Saints At John Scott TV on Twitter
4: So now when I heard that at first I balked at it Because I mean he's not Incognito's never a guy that I will ever call a whiner I, He doesn't strike me as a guy Who doesn't bring his lunchbox to work every day But it sounded a lot like blame-shifting, you know, in the wake of just what was a disastrous football game.
2: No player likes Thursday night football.
4: Well, as they shouldn't. After this past week, it was players and coaches from the winning team that were banging that drum. As the Seahawks beat the Arizona Cardinals on the road in a game that both teams suffered some catastrophic losses and injuries. I I mean, Rob, starting defensive tackle Jaron Reed. Starting defensive tackle Sheldon Richardson, starting defensive end Frank Clark, all had to leave the game. Starting linebacker Michael Wilhite, defensive back Cam Chancellor left the game. He's questionable to play this week. Both of them left, didn't come back. From that game, four players went to the IR. Richard Sherman with his Achilles injury, Tyvon Branch from the Arizona Cardinals, he's a safety with an ACL tear. Fetty Moma, uh, the number two tight end for the Cardinals, with an ankle injury, and DJ Humphreys, one of the starting guards for for the Cardinals, with an ACL tear. I mean, he throw in the concussion to Russell Wilson on top of that, and I think that calling that game a bloodbath wouldn't necessarily be hyperbole. And then after the game, the the cherry on top of that shit Sunday was that reporters caught up with Doug Baldwin, wide receiver, pulled his groin during pregame warmups but st- toughed it out and caught the biggest pass of the game. All the, all the reporters wanted to flock around him and talk to him about what he thought, what he thought about the game, and his response, he took it a step farther than Richie did. And I quote, This shit should be illegal. It's not okay. You can quote me on that. And then, according to reporter Matt Calkins from Twitter, I told Doug Baldwin that people have made the argument this week that the week and a half that players get after Thursday nights offsets the injury concerns. His response, tell them, fuck you. I mean, those are pretty <laughs> strong words. He, these these guys are speaking out against Thursday night football. And this week, Ben Roethlisberger took to the radio to make comments about how he he didn't think that Thursday night football was fair to players. I mean, Rob, being around the game as long as you have and knowing what you know about it, does it feel like this among players, they're starting to become more and more outspoken about this topic? I mean, yeah, you, no, no, you go. Yeah, I mean, players are
1: really having a platform where they're allowed to speak their minds more, it seems, lately, especially this year and towards the end of last season. Um, they're really not filtered in the, what, they have, what they're saying to the media. The injuries, I mean, they're a part of the game, and obviously with a short week, there's more chances for strains of hamstrings and things like that these are injuries that happen obviously on a short week the players are tired they're beat up um but as far as incognito's comments i mean the jets had seven sacks they showed up to play so i think there's an argument to make for both sides um obviously thursday night football it's not ideal for the players but as for the fans Everyone's tuning in and watching, and ultimately that's what the NFL cares about, is Rich Dienkowski just said. Well, now here's the thing.
4: Do they actually show up? Because I'll tell you, you look at the TV ratings and the streaming ratings, they're dropping at an alarming rate for Thursday Night Football. So when you factor in ratings being down, because honestly Thursday Night Football tends to be a subpar product compared to what you get on Sunday afternoons.
2: As for me, the casual fan, I don't even watch – Thursday night football. Now that hockey season has started, I have two two televisions in my living room. Both of them are on hockey on Thursday night.
4: So see, you're 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 losing a core part. The people who care about your game don't care enough to watch a watered down version of what a football game should be. So when you factor in those dropping ratings and now that players feel a little bit emboldened to kind of take that stance and come out against it publicly, how I mean, this can't survive past the next CBA, can it?
1: Yeah, I think they need to figure something out where if they're going to continue the Thursday night football, they need to figure out a way to have both teams have their bye weeks leading up to that game. Because you can't expect a team to play a game on Sunday, as physical of a game that football is, come out, have one team travel to another uh, city, and then play a game on Thursday. That takes away a day of practice. It's a travel day. And really, like you said, it dampens the product.
4: Well, and and I can tell they're getting desperate. For those of you who do watch Thursday Night Football, you're going to see something brand new come Thursday night. Steelers-Titans, the majority of the game is going to be shown from the Skywire cam, not from the sidelines like a traditional football game. They think that this will kind of bring the Madden crowd out to watch a football game. My immediate beef with it when I see it, you know, it's the camera that sits behind the quarterback at the time of the snap. My immediate beef with it is that they get so close to the to the quarterback taking the snap, you no longer can see the wide receivers on the outsides of the formation. That's incredibly important at the snap on a play-by-play basis. I mean, Rob, as someone who watches film and does a lot of study, what, what kind of an impact does that have on you, the viewer of a football game, knowing that, hey, there's going to be a lot of plays. I don't know what happens at the line of scrimmage with the wide receivers and DBs.
1: Yeah, you know, I think they're going to bring a lot of fans in that are going to enjoy it. I mean, we saw it at first a little bit um, when they rolled it out. I believe it was like two weeks ago. During the, fog game, were fans. Had,
4: during the fog game, they had no choice. New England. The fog was so heavy, they couldn't go to a sideline camera, so they used the Skycam, and apparently it, it got positive reviews. I don't know how, but it did. Yeah, but like you said, I mean, it's
1: not going to show the routes and how they're going to develop. So, I mean, I think with the rise of the amount of people that are watching All-22 and subscribing to Game Pass and kind of really becoming educated on the game, um, obviously they're going to have to make some tinkers with it and kind of make it to suit the fans in a way that they can really absorb the game in a way that they want to. But I think this is a big step forward because right now you're seeing really the front seven and the ball. And, For the casual fan, that's what they want to watch. They want to see who has the ball at the time. But there's a lot of educated football fans now that understand concepts, and I think that's going to go a long way in helping the product of the game.
4: I mean, one can only hope. I mean, because the product of the game on Thursday nights has been terrible. So let's bring this back to a more Bills-centric view, because once again on a Tuesday, the Bills have tinkered with the roster. The Buffalo Bills announced today that they released defensive tackle Jarrell Worthy and have signed DeAndre Coleman off the um, off the practice squad. Now, one of the things is I noticed this guy in the preseason. I said, "Hey, we've got this big D-tackle. He's not fast. He doesn't look like the most explosive or the most technically sound guy in the entire world. But he's a big guy, and when he when he he can move offensive lines. We watched it during the preseason, and I was happy when we landed him on the uh, uh, tr- 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 on the practice squad. So I guess my question is, Rob, what do you know about this player, and what do you think it is that spurred this move? I mean, in watching the film from the last two games, has Worthy stuck out to you as a sore thumb?
1: I mean, Worthy started the season. And he got that, that. He had that concussion that kind of held him, that held him out for a few games. And he really has not made an impact. If you look at the pro football focus numbers, he hasn't done anything in terms of creating pressure. He's struggled against the run. Um, The Bills have given up 498 rushing yards and nine touchdowns on the ground in two weeks, which is just ridiculous. Um, So I think the move to get Coleman, a guy that's, I think, 6'7", 330, something like that, Mm -hmm. um, can really be that space eater in the middle of the defense and hopefully – Maybe not as a full-time player, but can come in on first down or second down and kind of plug those holes and hopefully uh, put an end to these teams just gassing Buffalo.
4: Well, no, I think, I, and you know what, I hate to see Jarrell Worthy go. I got, to, I, I got to interview him at training camp, and the guy is just, you can tell he's genuine. He's a well-spoken guy. He likes to, he loves what he does. He's a former second-round draft pick. He played at a high level throughout college, and I think it's disappointing mm. that he hasn't to this point in his career. He's, been, he's becoming something of a journeyman. You know, when you're taking that high in the draft, you're expected to perform. I think he got miscast in a defensive system he didn't fit in Green Bay. They brought him in here, and he looked good for a while during preseason, but he did that last year in preseason too. And so far he just hasn't been able to show that he can perform at that level on a continuous basis. Yeah, they
1: really don't have that zero or one technique that can take on a double team and hold the point of attack. Um, Just watching the all 22 of the last two games against the Jets and the Saints, they were getting mauled. I mean, the offensive line was getting to the second level and just sealing out linebackers with ease. I mean, Adolphus Washington and Cedric Thornton, these guys should not be stark.
4: I just watched a play on Twitter a few minutes ago. Chris and I just watched it. Where the center for the Saints, Max Unger, literally took Cedric Thornton and ragdolled him one-on-one. Just just pancake the shit out of him. It's like, what are you doing? You wonder why we're getting gashed up the middle in the run. It's because we have defensive tackles who are literally just getting dog-walked around the football field. Yeah. Oh, and while we're on the topic we might as well just jump right into this I thought we could delay it man <laughs> I thought we could put it off I was going to
2: try to put it off as long as I could you want to get this over with like like uh, taking medicine as a child it's like ripping off a band-aid folks we're going to get right into the week 10 recap Bills
4: versus Saints stats of the game Tyrod Taylor 9 of 18, 56 yards 2 sacks and a 33.6 quarterback rating time of possession 18 minutes and 37 seconds. That is the worst, worst time of possession in the entire NFL this week. Kamara and Ingram, running backs for the Saints. 269 combined yards and four touchdowns. Saints rushing attack. 20 rushing first downs. And then rushing yards. The Buffalo Bills obtained 69. The streaker who ran on the field hit 121. Yes, that's right. I went back and rewatched the video just so I could get his total correct. 121 official yards for the Streaker. Oh, my God. How bad do you have to be as an NFL football team that a naked man on the field is the highlight of the game? How, how bad do you have to be?
1: <laughs> yeah, that was an ugly performance on the offense. As bad as I've seen, and I've defended Tyrod Taylor since preseason when everyone was calling for Nathan Peterman. Uh, He did replace Tyrod late in the game, but Tyrod, I mean, this was his – he was terrible. Um, He was off target. He was holding the ball too long. He really wasn't even under pressure that often. He was pressured seven times. And he had a – his longest completion was nine yards. It was – just well, unacceptable. The well that, run game. No, no, but was,
4: that, but, but that brings me to one of the points that I want to make with this podcast this week. I am sick and tired of hearing this. There's a there's a quote that I've heard come out of the mouth of too too many fucking defensive players in the NFL after playing the Buffalo Bills, and that's whenever they come off a big win, everyone asks, oh, "Well, what did you do? Oh, well, we made Tyrod Taylor a quarterback." We that is the quote. We made him play quarterback.
1: Every transcript I get, that's a comment by a defender.
4: Whenever we, whenever we get blown out by a team, or even in some of the, not, not even the blowouts, last week, last year, week one versus the Ravens, the Ravens said, hey, you know what we did? We came out and we held Tyrod Taylor in the pocket. We run blitzed instead of pass blitzing. We took away his ability to escape the pocket, made him stay there. Because he's not comfortable under pressure. He can't throw accurately when he thinks he's going to get hit. It, it, oh my God, it makes my blood boil. When I'm standing there in the stands freezing my ass off, watching someone run, I get it. You can't just pin the loss on Tyrod Taylor. Anybody out there who thinks that you got to open your eyes and see the big picture. That being said, Tyrod Taylor did himself no favors. 18 minutes of possession happens when you have a quarterback who cannot complete a pass. When you do not complete passes, even though you're not being pressured, that's on the quarterback. First and foremost, it's on the quarterback. You're not even throwing 50-50 balls. You're throwing 70-30 balls. It's, It's incredible to me how poorly he played and how that directly led to our defense not just being exposed more and more and more to this attack, but just... I mean, what does that say about the big picture of things? I mean, it starts up front, right? The offensive That's line. The offensive line has to do better, but so does the defensive line. I mean, if you're talking trench warfare, we lost up front on both sides of the week. It was embarrassing. I mean, yeah. w- you rewatched the game, Rob. I refuse to because, to me, I honestly would rather have more of the Reaper sauce that I got in my eyes last week I would put it in both eyes, gladly, before I rewatch any of that tape. What did you see about the the, the offensive and defensive line play that really stood out to you? You know, I'm actually going to
1: go with a positive here. Deion Dawkins is impressing me. He didn't allow a single pressure in the run game. Um, I think out of the 69 yards they had, 49 came behind him. Uh, Lashawn McCoy had that 36-yard run. Of course, he finished with 49 on the day. But I'm... Um, <laughs> It was Dawkins has been progressing nicely, and I think this is going to be something to watch in the offseason as far as 40-Glenn status um, with that big contract. Obviously, they want Dawkins to play, um, but Richie Incognito, he's struggling. Eric Wood getting that extension was big, questionable. Dukas, I know he graded well with pro football focus, but I don't see it with him. Mills is quietly not as bad as he was the previous years. But Deion Dawkins is a bright spot. But overall, they got pulled in the middle of the offensive line. Eric Wood and Christian Incognito just had bad days.
4: So Dawkins really stepped up big for the Buffalo Bills this week. Filling in at left tackle, not giving up a pressure. On the defensive side of the ball, though, we just mentioned it. I watched our backups. These guys who they said, okay, on a rotational basis, we can definitely fill in for Marcel Darius. And I watched them get manhandled, ragged out, as if they didn't even belong on the same football field as the Saints offensive line. I mean, mean, you've watched the tape, you've crunched the numbers. What's your take on the defensive line? Defensive line, it
1: starts up front with the defensive tackles, and they are bad. Kyle Williams, as much as we love him, he's getting old. Um, He's hustling to the ball. He's getting into the backfield, but he's not the player that he was. Jerry Hughes, he started the season with 26 pressures in four games. He has 30 now on the season. Uh, Shaq Lawson's actually quietly been decent as a run defender. I thought he was the only one that kind of held his own despite giving up 298 yards. It's kind of hard to say that. But um, (laughs) Cedric Thornton and Adolphus Washington, just as starters, I don't think, I don't know how you can, as a coaching staff, say, okay, we're comfortable with these two as playing 40, 50 snaps a game and counting on them to make an impact.
4: I mean, it's the, one of the things that frustrates me about this game is watching people put it in perspective for you. Vic Carucci, shortly after the game, you know, I was driving home, I did the call with Bills and Beers, I got on their podcast, vented my frustrations to them, and then really started like looking at Twitter, looking at social media, looking at some of the stuff that was coming out in print. Right after the game, Vic Carucci wrote about something, How, but, you know, you, everyone who watched the game said, oh man, the Bills really sucked on run defense. How bad did they suck, Ron? Oh, why don't you tell us? Well, I will tell you, the listeners of our podcast, the Bills were so bad that we allowed the Saints to become the first team to run for 295 yards or more and six touchdowns in a single game since the Browns did it in 1957. 41. Forty-one, yeah. Oh, that, that makes it worse. So, Karuchi's wrong. You have you have a different date. It was six touchdowns
1: and no punts oh. on the ground since nineteen forty-one. Another fun fact:
4: when uh. they stacked
1: the box with eight defenders, Saints averaged fourteen point two yards per carry.
3: Uh. Uh. This
1: thirteen tackles, huge step up, huge improvement after missing twenty-two against the Jets, though. So. No.
4: I, I I just I just feel like this whole game was just being thumbed in the eye. Like every time I turned around there was something else happening that made me want to leave the stadium and finally the levy broke. I couldn't help it. And as a yeah. season ticket holder, I feel like I'm entitled to that. You know what I paid a lot of I paid good money to see this game? And when you guys piss me off to a point where I have no choice but to drink, I'm leaving. I'm leaving and I'm gonna go buy the I'm gonna go drink the cheap beer that I already paid for at home.
2: That was a hard game to watch. And it I was mad at our performance because we had ten days to prepare, and we played worse than we did against the jets but i don't I don't mind that we that we lost the game because this game is not going to come down to playoff contention when we're in the hunt. There's no tiebreaker that says your record against n f c opponents
4: well you're you're <sighs> I, I'm not even going to give you credit for that. You're, maybe you're right. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. The next
2: two games are way more important than what happened on right Sunday.
4: Right now, fandom is overtaking logic. I don't want to even talk to you about this. I knew I, I knew I couldn't make it into this podcast more than five minutes without yelling, and I'm already doing it. My, my blood pressure is through the roof.
1: Have a beer. i got to go with Drew here. I mean, this was a game <laughs> not only just for playoff implications, but after that loss to the Jets, they cannot come out and lose 47-10 to 10 at home. After, you know, defending our dirt and trusting the process. Oh, and yeah, don't and feed me any more of your fucking that. buzzwords. I mean, they had to come out and at least, even if they lost, put on, at least look respectable. Thank but
5: you! Going Thank
1: into the season, I predicted a 5-11 and 11 season, and I think that the Bills are finally getting exposed for what they are. They have no athleticism at linebacker. They have no depth. We saw uh, Lafayette Pitts playing in the secondary with EJ Gaines and Sharice Reithurst um and the bills i got crushed for this on twitter um after the game but those turnovers that the bills were able to get in those wins i don't think that's sustainable
4: and it's catching up to them. no it's never sustainable but what you'd like to think is that okay we have an opportunistic defense Mm -hmm. we can build off this and become steadier around it yeah that's not happening also to your to chris's point earlier you're big on matt milano why is he not seeing more snaps? I'm sorry, but Ramon Humber came back and our defense started to fall apart. I I'd like to see more. Of yeah. It.
2: What happened to uh, I want
4: I want I ha- want Milano starting
2: at this point. What happened to if it's not broke, you don't, know, fix, don't it. fix it.
4: Like in in the NHL, go in in the NHL when you have a goaltender who gets hot, coaches will tend to ride the hot goaltender. Rather than going back to you know the young guy that they think might be able to get him by for not. or the young star, or the incumbent starter, if somebody's hot, you ride that player.
2: Even on back to backs.
4: Milano was hot going into the Jets game, and then he got shelved. I think he, I think he took ten snaps total.
2: Yeah, I mean, um,
1: I believe it was Coach McDermott that said, you know, a guy's not going to lose his job to injury. But Ramon Humber has never been a full time starter in his career. I hate Ramon Humber. He's 30 years old, and he's not playing very well at all. I've disliked Uh, Ramon Humber. He's missed, I think, 13 tackles this season. Him and Lorenzo Alexander have 21 missed tackles. And coverage are allowing 500 combined yards. Milano, on the other hand, is allowed, I think, like 90. And he's making big splash plays on defense and special teams. He's a rookie. And you want to give him those snaps. He's athletic. He look at the saying. Carolina Panthers and what McDermott did there. And he fits that mold. Humper is 30 years old. He's slow. He's missing tackles and he's playing with a thumb injury. That's obviously hampering. Today I, or yesterday, Leslie Frazier said he was going to give Milano a hard look at playing. But like you said, I don't see why he's on
4: the bench. I don't understand it. It's driving me fucking insane. Another thing, you, you just talked about Leslie Frazier doing something questionable. Let's talk about offensive coordinator Rick Dennison. I've got oh. a to pick with everybody today. This was Rick Dennison from this week's press conference talking about the usage of Kelvin Benjamin. Well, a little coverage, you know, dictated that they started out uh, had him one on one. We took our chances, didn't make the plays, and then uh, started changing their two safety coverages, uh, try to protect. The guy on him, I guess. Um, uh, we tried to work some high level, uh,
3: high-low level, high levels with him and uh, somebody underneath him, and they kept dropping underneath. So it was,
4: it's up to me to get him in the right spot to, to get him the targets and to get him the catches. So, you know, we're working on that one, too.
2: That's Rick Dennison from buffalobills.com, his Monday press conference. Rob, I grabbed that, and I heard a bunch of words that sounded like football things and – I sent it to Drew, and I was like, this sounds something we should use. I don't know what he's talking about there with the use of Benjamin because they went to him two or three times on the first drive, and then after that, we really didn't see him the rest of the game get any looks.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're altering coverages for him, sure. Isn't that why you trade for him? I mean, this is supposed to be a premier number one receiver. So if defenses are altering their coverages on using high-low concepts, That shouldn't be a problem. You still need to go after him. And one of the biggest things that people on Twitter were going nuts about after the trade was, oh, he doesn't get separation. Tyrod's not going to throw in a tight windows. But for him to say that they're not going to target him because defenses are adjusting, if he's a number one receiver and you give up that, you trade thinking that he's going to be your number one guy, that shouldn't matter. And Rick Dennison called probably the worst game I've seen. Eric Turner was breaking down the game, and there were some... Uh, wrinkles and some RPOs that they ran, but overall, it was just disgusting. In the fourth quarter, that shovel pass to Patrick DeMarco, I was starting to write my takeaways post for Billswire, and I just sat there staring at the screen, silent, wondering <laughs> what is going on. How is he going to catch a shovel pass to a fullback down 40 points
2: in the fourth quarter? It's not going to it's going to change with having Benjamin here being 6 foot 5. Tyrod is is who he is. He's not going to throw a 50-50 ball oh, okay. for for Benjamin to, to catch it. You
1: know, touch with Sammy Watkins that final nine games of 2015, he was throwing it up there. And I know that Tyrod isn't going to be that quarterback that's going to be that gunslinger and really be aggressive, but when you have a guy like that, you have to trust him. I mean, it was his first game, so he, Give him a benefit of the doubt, but that Tennyson's comments make no sense at all.
4: The man drives me crazy, and here's what I hate about it. You know what you have at quarterback. You know who your quarterback is, Rick. You've known who he is your entire career because you saw the kid get drafted. You, you were there with him when he was a rookie for the uh, for the Ravens, and then you went away. And then you came back, but you know you got to see that player with your own two eyes. You spent all of training camp with him. You spent nine weeks to this point trying to be his offensive coordinator. If you cannot, you know, I mean, Nick Geary wrote an article this week and uh, just yesterday, and it's a fantastic read. In fact, I'll probably link it in the description just because I think everyone needs to read it. Tyrod Taylor is being sabotaged by his offensive coordinator. Okay, I'm not making excuses. What I'm saying is I'm looking at an offensive coordinator that I've been up and down on all year. Sometimes he looks good, sometimes he looks bad. What I'm seeing, though, in these types of games is an offensive coordinator who understands clearly what the abilities and limitations of his quarterback are and is not willing to change the way he calls plays, not willing to change up the playbook, to give him the freedom to audible to uh, even just a quarterback draw. Fuck.
1: Yeah, he doesn't have freedom to audible. And he comes from that Gary Kubiak West Coast offense system where it's based on timing. And Tyrod is not, not, his... not an anticipata- anticipatory thrower. He's not going to throw into those type windows. He's going to hold onto the ball and wait till he sees his receiver come open, which is exactly the opposite of what you want in a West Coast passing offense. It's... So... You're absolutely right about Denison not adjusting. And it's just
4: getting maddening to watch. No, and and this is the thing that drives me crazy. So they put Nathan Peterman in. Okay, can can we talk about this for a second? The rebirth of the quarterback controversy in Buffalo. I thought we were past this bullshit, but apparently it's back. It's back now. We We have a quarterback controversy. The fan base is, you know, we talked about it in an earlier podcast about how Tyrod Taylor is a very divisive player. He's got the fan base divided. I stand on the side that I just don't think that, well, I think he has the talent. I mean, when you look who's starting football games around the NFL, but Blaine Gabbert is going to start a game for the Cardinals this week. Yeah, he's third string. But it doesn't matter. He's starting. Quarterback injuries are happening, and they're happening more often, year over year over year. He, he will find a job somewhere else in the NFL, Tyrod Taylor will. He absolutely will. When you look at the state of quarterbacking in the NFL. He would be starting for the
1: Broncos if he didn't sign with the Bills.
4: Thank you. What makes me sick is knowing what the Houston, last week we touched on this, what Houston did with Deshaun Watson going back to the collegiate roots. They went back to a collegiate style play playbook. And Deshaun Watson, the moment they made the change, started putting up. Record numbers for a rookie quarterback. Record numbers within that window of games that he, he started before his knee injury. So what that shows me is that if you're flexible enough with a quarterback, you can make them useful. We have an offensive coordinator who was literally Rex Ryaning our offense to hell. We had a we had the number one rushing attack in football. And yet he showed up and instead of fixing, you know, instead of just leaving what was working alone, decided that it needed to be his way. But who says Rick Dennison's way is the way? I don't trust this guy. And it's, I'm sorry. Then to say that, okay, well, we're not going to change our playbook to fit our quarterback strengths. But we're also not going to start the rookie that we drafted that fits what we want to do. What are you doing? Then what are you doing? I, I don't know. What are you doing?
2: You, well, you look across the field on Sunday. What's Peyton's MO? That passing game that he's always had with Breeze? And now all of a sudden they're running the ball and they're seven and two. You're they, tailoring
4: your attack to your team's
2: strength. Yes, that's what we're not Pitt doing. Is
4: doing it right now. We're failing to do it. And I guess that's my question. This is a quarterback controversy, but it's being forced on us by a coaching staff that says, "Okay, here's a quarterback that we picked up because we think he fits
2: this offense." Rob, I don't like. But at I, the same time, I'm we're not going to tailor our offense
1: until the off season when the draft draft talk heats up because you know everyone wants the, the first-round quarterback with those two draft picks. Nathan Peterman's the hot name. The backup quarterback's always going to be the, the favorite. Um, Peterman, I did like what, it, what I saw. I mean, he came out there his first two passes. He got the ball out quick. Um,
3: he
4: almost I, he threw a pick six.
1: Like he, him, he, but he
4: almost threw a pick six. I yeah, saw I mean that I point. think
1: People are, are going nuts over this guy. He was a fifth-round pick for a reason. And I don't think people – Will look at that in that context. They see somebody that performed well in the third and fourth quarter, throwing to Brandon Riley, who was this fantastic receiver that's gonna be on the team. Look at him, look where he's at it now. Yep. And you know, Tyrod Taylor's the best option right now. Um, they do need to draft a quarterback, in my opinion. I've changed I've changed my thought on that. Tyrod, like you said, I think you can win with him. If everything is going right around him, I don't think he can win games for you, as we've seen. But I don't think Nathan Peterman is a guy that's going to come in and just start lighting it up and take the Bills to the playoffs.
2: (sighs) I didn't like that that Peterman made it into the game because just that alone starts up a a quarterback controversy. I've always said it, I'm going to say it again. I want Tyrod in. I don't want to see Peterman. Tyrod gives us our best chance to lose because I want that quarterback in the draft. Because
4: because he's a fan of a hockey team that tanked to get a very a very talented hockey player. And look where the Sabers are today. In fact, folks, you may not know this, but I've taken up a I've taken up a stance. Ever since Sunday night, I ate pizza. I ate wings. I funneled beard on my throat. I'm a guy who eats literally a chicken salad for lunch every day and bran flakes for breakfast. And I work out a bunch. But I'll tell you this, I am eating pizza, beer, and wings every single night from now until either the Sabres or the Bills win a goddamn game.
2: And it looks to be if they don't, tonight.
4: They, well, I'll tell you, if it doesn't happen and this streak continues and I have to eat pizza every night and drink beer every night, maybe my heart explodes and maybe it puts me out of my misery and I don't have to see this shit anymore. Oh, okay, okay. The best on. you can hope for <laughs> is, you
2: know,
1: Tyrod... Get some confidence for that it lights a fire under him and says you know what i'm this close to being replaced i gotta i gotta step it up that's i mean you know the narrative feel good story that you want to hear but it's it's not looking good
2: now he's gonna get replaced regardless at the end of the year everyone knows that you just look at what's happened since bean and mcdermott have got here they're shedding players from the rex ryan era left and right
1: I just don't want to see what happened with the Ryan Fitzpatrick situation where the fans ran him out of town and they released him with no backup. With no
4: answer. With no answer behind
1: him. Yeah, I want to have somebody there behind Tyrod that can compete and win. Win that job. Well, in that sense,
4: you don't want it to just be handed to somebody because they're the incumbent, and it's it's good for PR, and it's a good it's good for the fans, and it's it sells hope. I who has hope? What is hope? We're Bills fans. I chew up your hope and I spit it out because I'm used to this. I've been fed this before. Okay. Ultimately, every time
1: Matt Milano steps on the field, you got to have some hope.
4: <laughs> I knew you would bring it back up. I love I love it. Okay, I'm sold. I want to see more of the kid. Now let's end this. Let's end this recap on a high note, because I know we've been talking about this for a while, and it's actually giving me a stomach ache. I've also managed to drink five beers during the course of us talking about this game because it just infuriates me. I want to bite the neck off this bottle right here. But we're gonna end this on a high note. Can I ask a question, Rob? Why does it seem like when our season is officially coming off the rails? There are always penises or penis-shaped objects on the field. Okay? I'm being serious. Last year, it was us getting trounced at home by New England and someone threw a dildo on the field. This week, it's a naked guy who literally rushed for 121 yards. 100- I, hope
1: you saw, I hope you saw my pro football focus-ass meme of him. I spent some good time on that.
4: That is fantastic. The FedEx
1: ground Player of the, of the Week. <laughs> nice elusive rating. One carry, 112 yards. You got Sean McDermott looking right at him. It's on my Twitter account. Sure oh, guys.
4: Where, where, can the, where can the folks it's, find it's, your Twitter it. handle?
1: Give that a shout out. Twin,
4: 619 <laughs> But that was
1: incredible. It's 40 degrees out. This guy's butt naked running down the field and does a jig in the end zone.
4: Well, this is so my point. Like this is, this, is the, this is the spirit that this team needs. <laughs> well, here's what I have to say about it. First and foremost, a little bit of background on this guy. His Twitter handle is Senor Wiener. (laughs) He's big in the roller derby community, which I thought was a sport for girls, but apparently men do it too.
2: No, watching men do it, it's more entertaining than women. Well,
4: any men's sport is more entertaining than women's sports. That's right, ladies. You heard me. I said it. Except for women's curling. Women's curling is fantastic. So he's he's a sous chef at a local restaurant. And apparently, he's a, according to his mother from Buffalo News, he's a free spirit. Obviously, the dude has a man bun and a ferocious beard. And his name is Tristan. When I came when I came to work on Monday, everyone was joking around with me. Oh, hey, was that you on the field? Ha ha ha! And I said no because that guy has abs. That guy, <laughs> that guy is fit. You have movies. <laughs> that guy is Mike Tolbert. Better watch out. I mean, that guy has some wheels. Right, dude showed some wheels. Now. Chris, will you do me the honors? We're going to christen the highlight of Sunday's football game. We're going streaking! <laughs> the Will Ferrell style, baby. That dude went streaking through the quad, through the end zone, to the other end zone, danced on the field, and juked out a security guard. Now, my, my only thoughts on this are... 10K Chase. 10K you, 10K. you actually hit the nail on the head, though. The only thing I thought when I was watching that isn't, oh man, this is so awesome, or oh man, that's so shitty, he, he shouldn't be running around naked. The first thing that popped into my head was, first and foremost, you're naked running around on AstroTurf. You do realize that when you get tackled, it's like Rugburn. That is not going to be comfortable because you're nude. <laughs> Second of all, it's under 40 degrees. I'm not taking the, I was wearing a Carhartt. I'm not taking my pants off in 40 degrees. I would I want If wanted, you
2: drank enough you would. What
4: I want to know is what was going through the what was going through the minds of the people sitting in his immediate vicinity. You're sitting there, you're you're miserable, maybe you got a beer in your hand, you're watching the football game, everything's ah oh, fuck this fuck that. And all of a sudden you look to your left and 3 feet away from you is a dude who's taking his pants off. And you're like, "Wait a minute, what the fuck?" And then he's on the field. Now he just—he has captured your imagination. He has you as—he's the most exciting thing to happen in the fourth quarter of that football game.
1: He's making up for for uh, the gels being gone, man. He's he's getting the fans into the game.
4: Oh my God! All I'll say is, all in all, he was the cherry on top of the shit Sunday that was <laughs> the Bills versus <risk> the Saints. <laughs> so that brings us to our weekly Hero and Zero segment. I've got two to give away. First and foremost, the hero of the week. I'm going to give it to long snapper Reed Ferguson. <laughs> I'm the
3: greatest man
4: in the world. Woo! Reed, you connected on every snap that you had to.
2: That field goal was a little low. The field goal was low. The field goal, the field goal he know, probably knows it. If he's listening, he knows it. That field goal, a little low on the snap.
4: I, 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 I struggled to find people who earned their paycheck on Sunday, but I think Reed's one of them. And as far as my zero of the week, it's literally everybody else on the Bills' sideline. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. Rob, when a team fails, I said this last week, when a team fails as miserably as we did on Thursday night football, across the board, where, where there's almost no silver lining to take away from the game, uh, barring public nudity, you look at the head coach. You look at the head coach and you say to yourself, what are you doing? What are you doing to stem this? At this point, I can't even blame just him. It's everyone. It's a systemic problem and I don't know what it is. To get dominated like that at home in front of your own fans speaks to a lack of resolve, a lack of focus, a a lack of coaching from not just the head coach, your, your coordinators, your position coaches, you failed as an organization on Sunday. I mean, T-Pegs, if you were down there, I'd bring, if you didn't give a dog away, a service dog away, to a veteran who needed it during halftime, I'd put you on this list. Oh, it, it makes my blood boil. Rob, what do you think was the, the worst part of that? I mean, if you had to point a finger, you got to agree with me that there really is no one place to put the blame
1: you know, it was just watching run after, run after run after run after run after run after run. I mean, they ran twenty-four times in a row. That is just they didn't want to run.
4: They didn't want to run the with score up on you. It's so the came problem. Out they,
1: Super Bowl with the onside kick. This is just like that twenty-four runs in a row, and then a drive, a ten-play, ninety-four drive, the touchdown. You got Drew Brees just. Walking into the end zone for seven yards, not even touch. I mean, it was just embarrassing. It was, it,
4: it was, it, there was no. to come up. Rob, game. I think what made me the angriest was that the takeaway is that Sean Payton didn't want to run the score up on us, so instead of throwing the football, he ran the ball twenty-four straight times, and we still couldn't stop it. We still ended up falling on our face. And in his head, he's like, well, I don't know what you want me to do short of throwing it out of bounds. I'm trying to give you the game, and you won't keep it close.
1: Yeah, the bright spot. I mean, Drew Brees, 184 yards and zero touchdowns. I mean, that's that's some that's some quality D- play right there. So. What are
2: you talking about? He had one. Oh, wait. He ran it. <laughs> he ran it. Yeah, that's how bad Hero it got. Classic. He Hero ran classic. it. Rob,
4: the only silver lining for that football game is that it's over. I suggest the Bills take that tape, burn it, and then take the ashes and go throw them into the graveyard that they moved to build the stadium. Oh, Okay. All right. I'm going to take a deep breath, folks. Everyone who's listening to the podcast, I'm going to change gears here and I'm going to try to find a better attitude. We are going to slide right into this week's AFC East Roundup.
2: You have to know that last night made you feel a little bit a little bit better. It made me feel good knowing that a friend of the show and podcast host over at the Finns broadcast, Vero Delfino, who lives in Charlotte, was at that game and had to watch that performance.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Okay, so we start the, this week's AFC's roundup. Miami, Panthers 45, Dolphins 21. I can't lie. It brought a big old, a, a big old crocodile smile to my face watching Monday Night Football. Call me petty, call me vindictive, call me a jackass. All of those may not actually be that far off base, but there is something a little bit soothing to watch a team in your division get absolutely dismantled on national television a day after yours got also got cursed. <laughs>
1: Even for me, I'm. I grew up in South Florida. I proudly wore my Willis McGahee jersey three or four times a year when, at school when they came away with those three or four wins. Got made fun of all through school for being a Bills fan. And mm. these guys wore their Cleo Lemon and Zach <laughs> Thomas jerseys, and just uh, I got a lot of interesting Facebook
4: comments about the Bills collapsing on Sunday. Oh, so I'm
1: sure. Watching that game, uh, it was. It was it was fantastic.
4: Absolutely. Now, now, now here's here's my takeaway from the Miami game. The Dolphins were firmly in the game for the first quarter. I, I, I got to give them credit for that. You're on the road, hostile territory, and you're leaving the first quarter only down three nothing. You trade shots with them, and after you know, after a failed two minute drill by the Panthers, you're only down by three with less than a minute to go heading into halftime. Your D held up when it needed to, and everybody should feel pretty good about the situation because it's a three-point game on the road. And then Jay Cutler remembers that he's Jay Cutler. The (laughs) very first play with 49 seconds to go ends up in an interception at your own 35. And then, after an unsportsmanlike (laughs) unsportsmanlike conduct call, ends up the ball is now at your 20. With just around 39 seconds to go. Now that your defense is gassed because it just tried to hold off, put on this heroic stop to stop the Panthers from scoring. From the 20, they had no hope. It took the Panthers two plays to get into the end zone. The Finns never regained their composure from there and got outscored 35-14 to 14 in the second and third quarters. And are now staring into the abyss as a fan base.
2: My takeaway my take from Monday night, fantasy team, I was down about 25 and I had Cam Newton going. Oh! So I won.
4: Absolutely you did. <laughs> I, I mean, anybody out there who wants to know, everyone's like, oh, the Bills have it the worst in the NFL. Go to finsider.com, their SB Nation mm-hmm. website, and go see for yourself. The carnage over there is real. It's uglier over there than it is than it could ever get over here. Or the Dolphins wire. Oh, yeah, the Dolphins wire. Hey, <laughs> you know what? Way to give your own guys a shout-out. You know what? See, you're a team player, Rob. I A's like Warren that. He's one kills it, man. He's, a good, he's good. He's not biased, so. though. Does he? You know what, folks? I'll put a link to that in the show description, too, if you want to go see how miserable those people are. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll warm your heart the way it does mine, because I'm an asshole. <laughs> this week, the Dolphins are going to take on Tampa Bay in a makeup game from week one. It's the Battle of Lower Florida. And if they can't right the ship, then I don't know what's going to happen because the Dolphins will be firmly on the ropes with six losses. Speaking of teams that are close to six losses, New York Jets. The New York Jets took on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this week and lost 15-10. To,
2: to Ryan Fitzpatrick. To,
4: Ryan, to their old quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick has a revenge rating, like he really does. Think about it.
1: Was Rudy. that Texans Bills game?
4: Yes, that's what I was about to say. That speech? The Bills cut him, and he gave his team a speech before the game that has stuck with me for years.
1: You <laughs> know, he me.
4: he spent the me- he spent the media week telling the media, ah, this game, it's just another football game, it's just another football game. But then they saw the-, the cameras got him in the huddle with his team, and he said, this mean this game means a means a hell of a lot to me. So when things get ugly, when things look down, look to me. I'm going to get us through this. And they won the football game. I mean, JJ Watt's pick six helped, obviously.
2: How many? How many?
4: But he how has many a,
2: quarterbacks? But hang on. I'll so, just say how many quarterbacks in the league have played their former team as many times as. Fitzpatrick. But the problem is is that Fitzpatrick doesn't go away. So he's played
4: for how many different <laughs> exactly. teams? Exactly. He's played for the Bills, he's played for, Okay, so picture this. As a
2: starter. Rams, Bengals, Rams, Bills, Jets, Bengals, Bills,
4: Bucks. Jets, Bucks, Titans. Oh, oh yeah, I forgot he about that. I forgot I about that. I, w-
2: I saw him at the uh, airport in Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you
4: this guy has been around the block and he somehow squeaks out wins because he's still an accurate quarterback. He squeaks him out. Now, whenever your team loses loses and only scores 10 points, it's safe to assume that a whole lot of shit went wrong on one side of the football. For the Jets, it's the offensive line. They gave up six sacks to a Buccaneers team that literally only had eight sacks coming into the game on the season. Then they held the Jets to 60 yards rushing. Now, doesn't that make you feel bad about what they did to us? Doesn't it make you just... It, it, I think that, if anything, that performance points a finger at the Bills and speaks more to effort. It speaks more to just buying in and playing within the system of the game than it does, oh, hey, the Jets just blew us off the map. No, yeah, the Jets blew us off the map and then got dominated by a team that we beat. I mean, it's it's... It's pathetic. The defense did enough to keep them in the game. I mean, they the Jets' defense held Fitzpatrick to less than 200 yards passing, but when you factor in all of that shitty offensive line play and McCown's failure to execute the offense, the Jets are now going into their bye week sitting at four and six. They know that coming out of the bye, they essentially have to run the table, or else they they can afford maybe a loss down the stretch if they want to be able to stay in contention for a playoff spot. I mean, this was a team that said, we're not tanking. We're not tanking. We're not going to just go over and try to draft a great quarterback. We're going to stick it out. We're going to fight. We're going to do all these things. Well, now you're 4-6, and and you're one win away from being completely irrelevant. It just doesn't seem likely to the frustration of Jets fans everywhere. I mean, Rob, when you look at the Jets, what do you see?
1: Honestly, I don't, I don't know. The whole AFC has been so odd this season. There's really like three good, good teams, and then a bunch of four to five win teams, and it seems like everyone's really in the hunt. And it's going to probably come down to the last two weeks of the season to really determine who makes the playoffs.
4: I I mean, I think that if I'm a Jets fan, the thing that frustrates me the most isn't isn't so much that I'm four and six. It's the knowledge that even though McCown is clearly the guy that we all thought he'd be when they signed him and his career record, we all know what it is. He's been a career loser, massive career loser. The coaching staff has announced that they have zero plans to start either one of their young quarterbacks, either Bryce Petty or Christian Hackenberg, regardless of what McCown does. They said as long as he's healthy, he's going to be their quarterback. Well, the coach
1: is going to start them, and Hackenberg and Petty are terrible.
4: Well, But but here's my point. I know that the frustration from the Bills fan base is growing over Peterman not being given an opportunity to start. I know that that's bubbling to the surface here in Buffalo. Can you imagine what would happen if I, if we were watching our team piss away their season like that, and we had drafted Peterman in the second round? Where do yes. you think? Where do you think the blood pressure of Bills fans everywhere would be?
1: Oh, through the roof! I mean, we see it on a. I wake up on a Wednesday morning and I have mentions from three in the morning of rants of people telling me how dumb I am because <laughs> I posted a quote about Tyrod Taylor. And I'll get a thread, a nine tweet thread about how great Peterman is and how stupid I am. So Bills <laughs> fans are just another breed.
4: That's what I'm saying.
1: And I just but- think the Jets fans just really aren't have no interest in the outcome of the season. I mean they probably obviously wanted a tank for one of those quarterbacks. But when you look at the 49ers trading for Diopolo, I mm. think that sends a message to how the NFL used the quarterback class this year.
4: Absolutely. And so now the Jets have to go, they're going into the bye, and they have to just take a long, hard look in the mirror and figure out how they're going to stay in the playoff race. One of the reasons for that is because we're all in the same division as the New England Patriots. The Patriots this week went into Denver and absolutely dominated. Patriots 41, Broncos 16. First and foremost, to hell with those guys. They come off their bye, go on the road, and blow Brock Osweiler and the struggling Broncos off of the field. It wasn't even close. They were winning 27-9 at halftime and outscored the Broncos every single quarter. They had two different running backs, finished the game with three catches and a touchdown, and nine different Offensive players in total caught at least one pass. That 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 blows my mind. That's I, New England,
1: man. I mean, the, after they started <laughs> the season, everyone's oh, this defense is this terrible. Brady's at the end of his road, and it's the same thing as oh, we're on to Kansas City well, from a couple years ago. And well,
4: yeah, but you know what? You look at this. I, I I actually don't give the Patriots much credit for this. I give the Broncos. I take something away from them. I mean, they're quarterbacked by Brock Osweiler. That's how bad things have gotten. You didn't want to sign Brock Osweiler as a free agent. He got signed by Houston. Houston thought he sucked so badly that they gave up a second-round pick to ship him off to Cle- to Cleveland, which is a quarterback graveyard. That's like the Lion King. It's the elephant graveyard. You see that dark spot over there? It's right by Lake Erie, and that's where nobody goes. <laughs> we don't go over there. And then Cleveland got sick of him, cut him, and he ended up back with the team that he started with. How bad is that? I, I mean, ultimately, I don't know. I, even I just th- think until
1: the Patriots can prove that they can be beaten, they, you got to respect them and you got to fear them.
4: Well, you no have to. They're 7-2 and two and they're running away with the division. Mm-hmm. If this game was a, th- a sign of things to come, the wild card race is going to be the only shot any team from our division has of making the playoffs. That's it. Now the Patriots are going to go on the road this week out to Mexico City to go play Oakland. A Raiders team that's coming off a bye and trying to figure out how to play defense. So I'm not going to be shocked when the Pats are 8-2 come Monday.
2: Oakland's going to win that game. Oh, why? Because Derek Carr's elite? Yeah, he's elite. Watch him suck balls in that game. No, I'm starting him in fantasy. He's going to suck. No, he's not. Oh, my God. I'll, I'll take my shirt off again. Well, go outside, and I will fight you. You
4: know that it'll end poorly for everybody.
2: Yeah, it'll end poorly for you. I'll give you pink belly.
4: and Yeah, yeah, it'll end poorly <laughs> for me because I'll have a rotator cuff injury from giving you pink belly too hard.
2: No, you'll have <laughs> a rotator cuff injury because I put you in the TAS mission.
4: All I know is, Rob, I mean, the Patriots, are the, Patriots have clearly taken over this division, correct? Oh, of course. Okay. So... When you think about how the Bills are going to make the playoffs, it's going to have to be through the wild card. So let's take a look as a group at Week 11 playoff picture. Okay, starts with the AFC East, Miami. Fourth most difficult schedule from here to the end of the season in the entire NFL. Right now they're 4-5, and five, they're in ninth place in the AFC, and they're third in the AFC East. In our division behind them, it's New York, who has the single most difficult schedule. Week ten through seventeen, they're four and six, tenth place in the AFC and fourth place in the AFC East. And then there's New England. Fuck those guys and everyone who looks like them. So when you when you talk about the conference contenders, I, I have to split this because it's J, it's Jacksonville and Tennessee.
2: Yeah, one of those guys is going to win the AFC South.
4: One of them is going to win the, the South Division. And the other one is going to be right there looking for the, that second wild card spot. I mean, Rob, do you agree with me that one of those teams will absolutely make the playoffs if they don't win their division?
1: Yeah, I don't think the Bills are making the playoffs.
2: Oh, I don't, do, don't say it. I, Damn. Drew gets his hope up, hopes up over the Bills. I've said that we're not Honestly, a playoff. they
1: got to go to the West Coast. Then they got to play the Chiefs in Kansas City, New England, Miami. Division games are always difficult, and then New England again to end the season. I just, I, I don't see it. Well, yeah. I've
4: broken this up into two categories.
2: So we well, start I, with
1: conference
4: contenders. I was going to say
2: that Jacksonville. I believe Rob. I don't know if, I don't know if you have uh, backup on this, but Jacksonville's got the easiest schedule the rest of the way. Yeah,
1: I'm not sure about their schedule, but they're playing. Incredible football right now. Well, and this
4: is it. I've broken this group up into conference contenders and conference pretenders. I put Jacksonville and Tennessee both as firm contenders, and here's why: Jacksonville has the number one scoring defense in the NFL. They're a plus seven in the turnover differential, and they're playing Marone era football. Everyone, every Bills fan knows what that was. Running Ka- as a forty. You had Kyle Orton. You had Kyle Orton as your quarterback and yet you took your team to the brink of the playoffs. Kyle Orton and Fred Jackson were your quarterback and running back. Well, now he's got uh, Blake Bortles, who might as well be Kyle Orton, but at the same time, he's got Leonard Fournette, and he's got a defense that is way better than the defense he had here. As far as sacks, as far as pressure, as far as turnovers, he's accomplishing a lot more in Jacksonville using the same formula that he used here in Buffalo. Then you look at Tennessee. Four of the next seven teams that Tennessee plays have a sub-500 record right now. And Mariota is getting healthy. They have running backs for days. I mean, DeMarco Murray, Derrick Henry, I feel like they have the pieces in place and the schedule falls their way. They could roll right into that next spot. They can either win the division or they're at least going to earn a wildcard spot. And can I say this? Doug Marone and Mike Malarkey are both Bills coaches who quit their jobs in the middle of the season. If they both make the playoffs and the Bills miss, I might actually have an aneurysm. That might actually fucking do it for me, guys. I'm just saying. It's...
1: Like I said, this season is just something else. And um, if you told me in the preseason that the Rams, the Jaguars, would be two of the best teams in the league, I would have laughed in your face. But <laughs> I mean, it's something else. But I, as far as the playoffs go, I just, I don't think the Bills will be able to um, compete in the conference records like the Jaguars and Titans.
4: Well, no. So the only other contender, though, that I see, and this is the this is on a, a bright note for Bills fans, the only other bright spot that I see for the AFC outside of the Bills is the Baltimore Ravens. And everyone knows they're perennial playoff contenders. They missed when Flacco tore his ACL. Okay, they haven't missed the playoffs often since Joe Flacco became their quarterback seven years ago. The Ravens are 18th in scoring offense, and their four turnover differential. They have the eighth best scoring defense, and they only have two games remaining against teams with winning records. And four of their last seven games come at home. That has to bode well for the Ravens. But those three teams are the only teams I see as threats to us, because on the flip side, you've got conference pretenders. The Miami Dolphins are one of them. We saw it last night. I do not believe that the Miami Dolphins are worth a damn. As long as Jay Cutler is your quarterback, he will do just enough to make you think you can win right up until you can't. And everyone remembers, oh, hey, we came back and we beat the Jets. We're the Dolphins. Yeah, Jay Cutler wasn't your quarterback. Matt Moore was your quarterback. Adam Gase is married to that guy. and He will never let him go. I don't think Miami's anything we have to worry about. I see them dropping at least one more, two more, before we have to play them.
1: Yeah, I don't think Miami makes it, but Baltimore is an interesting team. Um, Like you said, they only have two uh, games against teams with winning records, and they started really hot, but they're going to need to rely on their defense. Their defense has been playing pretty well, but, I mean, offensively,
4: Oh, offensively, they're they're struggling. They're they're
1: they're struggling bad, which is the same thing as the Bills. They're struggling on both sides. That's why
4: I'm saying, like, I give I I give the Baltimore Ravens the
1: Bills going,
4: but boy, but but that's my point. But Rob, that's my point. I see the Bills as the I look at the Bills and the Ravens, and I say the only thing you've done is that you've dropped one more game than we did. (laughs) That's what you did. You found a way to lose another game that we didn't. Yeah, I mean, I just see the the games
1: ahead: Kansas City, two against New England. I know it gets tough. I know Miami. it gets tough. tough.
4: The other can happen.
1: Hopefully, it does. I pray it does, but I can't see it happening. Now, now here's just the way thing. They've been playing.
4: the other playoff pretender in this conference that I, I Chris is going to balk at this because he thinks Derek Carr is the lead. The because Oakland he is. Raiders. Oh, and guess who has the tiebreaker? We do. We do. So here's my point. The Oakland Raiders are 22nd in points allowed on defense. They're a minus 7 in turnover differential this season. And their schedule includes four opponents, four opponents for the rest of the season that have six or more wins.
1: (laughs) And they're 4-4 in the conference. (laughs) And
4: three of their final four games are on the road. I'm sorry. Oakland got everyone loved Oakland preseason. I think that Right now, you're seeing why they aren't going to be that team. They have too much ahead of them. Their defense is proven to be leaky at best, and at the same time, you have to—they're literally getting put right into the wood chipper. Four teams in your next what? How many games are left in the NFL season? It's week ten. They're they're going in. They just coming off their bye, so they've got six left. Six, six games left. Four of them are against teams that have almost six or seven wins. I I don't see how Oakland comes out of this in one piece. I just don't.
1: It'll be an interesting few weeks. I mean, this Sunday is going to go a long way, in my opinion. Um, I think the Chargers are better than their record indicates, I, especially a lot will go whether uh, Philip Rivers plays or not, but that defense terrifies me, and... If they lose this game, I think the season's dope.
4: Well, it's a good thing you mentioned. It's a good thing that you bring it up because we are moving right along through this podcast, straight under our Week 11 preview Bills versus Chargers.
2: That's right, folks. We're going out to L.A. (laughs) Yeah. Don't forget your Kevlar vest.
4: (laughs) Info. Per- all the pertinent info for the game. Time, 4.05 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The location, some soccer field out in Los Angeles. <laughs> the broadcast is coming from CBS.
2: Wrong. It's on Fox. What? Chris Meyer and Daryl Johnston will be calling the game. It's one of those weird things, I don't know, towards the end of the season, sometimes a whole a whole AFC game will end up on Fox. Do we know the official? <laughs>
4: The spread, Chargers, three and a half. Chargers, minus three and a it's half. It's four and a half. Four and a half?
2: Yeah, Chargers, four and a half.
4: Oh, my God. And the under over is 43.5. Now, going on to the injury report. The Buffalo Bills. We've got some significant names on this list. Cordy Glenn, still questionable with a foot injury. Jerry Hughes is a new addition. He left last game early with a shin injury and didn't return. And his practice time is absolutely going to have to be watched. Cornerback EJ Gaines did not play, as we all expected him to. And then Zay Jones is still trying to come back from that ankle injury. On the Los Angeles side of the ball, they've got some notable injuries. Right tackle Joe Barksdale, questionable. He's missed three games, though. He's got a foot injury. Their linebacker, Hayes Pullard, has a neck injury. He's questionable. He's been the guy filling in. For Denzel Perryman, who has really played well when given the opportunity to play over the last few years, and then late addition this week, out of nowhere to the injury report, quarterback Philip Rivers is in the concussion protocol. He may or may not play. Now, Rob, you've done a lot of work this week, and you're already gearing up to get into your Chargers articles. So why don't you tease us a little bit? I mean, first and foremost. I think one of the when you look at the offensive side of the ball for the Chargers, I see a couple things. First and foremost, they are really aggressive on fourth down. Okay, now we saw that a couple times this week with the Saints, just because they were trying to run the clock out. What is it that drives that for the Chargers?
1: Um, you know, as far as fourth down, I don't really know. I can't say that I've watched a ton of Chargers games, but uh, Anthony Lynn, the head coach there. Uh, we know him pretty well. Um, but I think Philip Rivers, his status will be a huge, huge um, part of whether the Bills are able to be competitive in this game. You know, the charts kind of remind me a bit of the Saints in terms of the talent that they have with a quarterback like Phillip Rivers. Now, if he doesn't play, it's going to be Kellen Clemens, who doesn't strike fear in any but, um, you know, offensively, they're not all that impressive outside of the passing game. They have some good receivers. they got Keen Allen in the slot. Uh, his matchup would be Leonard Johnson, which is pretty terrifying. Chad uh, Benjamin, Tyrell Williams, they're talented. Hunter Henry and Antonio Gates, though, is something that I would watch. Jordan Boyd has been really, really, really bad the last two weeks. Um, and having two of those tight ends out there, That's going to be an issue, especially considering the the wide receiver talent. Um, Their running back, Austin Eckler, he's an undrafted free agent, and he's been kind of coming on. He's got, uh, I believe, he had like 44 yards, five catches for 77 yards, and two scores last uh, Sunday against the Jaguars. But their defense is incredible. Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram might be the best pair of defensive ends in the
4: NFL right now. Well, so this is it. So now when we're taking a look at at the team as a whole, let's take a look at the offense first and foremost. I I just look at the fact that one of the things that sticks out to me about this team and makes them remarkable is that they're a team that's not afraid to go for it on fourth down. Even though they haven't found success, they keep going for it on fourth down. I don't know if it's because they don't trust their kicker, they don't trust their punter long snapper maybe. I don't know what it is, but they, they yeah,
1: they've actually gone through two kickers. So that might be
4: they go for it a lot on fourth down when when they get on the opposite side of the opponent's field. That's kind of contrary to most NFL thinking, which scares me because I this coaching staff, as we've talked about even earlier in tonight's show are very conservative and they seem like they're very old school. They're not willing to adapt on the fly. This is a coaching staff that is. They say, look, This doesn't work. We can't kick from range. Fine. Fuck it. We'll go for it on fourth and one from our opponent's 42. Why? Because we're not kicking this field goal. We're not. Secondly, inconsistency on the offensive side of the football. Now, you touched on it. They've got some nice receivers. They've got some things going right for them on the offensive side of the ball. But one of the the biggest things that I see when I look at their football team is just I don't know. You guys seem, they seem to find, they seem to invent ways to lose football games. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they literally, you know, early in the season, they lost a game to Miami just by missing three, four, five field goals. And then, and then they, they tried to punt and it didn't go well and then it ended up in, through the uprights and they lost the football game. Just this past week, they lost a game to the Jaguars. In which they should have won the football game, and they literally, on their own, invented a way to lose it.
2: That's what happens when you're head coached by a disciple of Rex Ryan. I mean, Joey Bosa. Joey Bosa
4: gets a 15-yard unsportsmanlike conduct penalty on a play where you didn't need to, and you put them in fo- in field goal. Considering that. Their former kicker, the one that they cut because he sucks, Josh Lambeau, is now kicking for the Jaguars. They knew what they were doing, and yet they still put the Jaguars in range to tie the football game. And then in the last drive, they turned the football over. It's it's just one of these things, like the Chargers seem to be the creators of their own misery in right. a way on offense.
1: I mean, their, their six losses have been close losses. I'm looking right now. Three-point loss week one, two-point loss week two, lost by 14 in week three, two-point loss, uh, eight-point loss, and a three-point loss. So, like you said, they're finding ways to throw games away.
4: I mean, you go to BoltsFromTheBlue.com, their SB Nation website, and you read some of the articles over there. Their fan base is demoralized because in their minds, this is a football team that literally should win most games and then when they have the game in hand, will literally give it to their opponent. Hand it to them on a silver platter. This is what I... When I look at their offense, I just see the inconsistency. I see the the inconsistency of their offensive line. They have a a lot of sacks. A lot of sacks, a lot of pressures. Rivers has done his best to get the ball out quickly, to try to find open receivers. There's a reason you talked about Eckler being a great you – know, he's a great talent. He is because he's getting fed the ball out of the backfield because his quarterback has to get out of his hands so quickly. Mm-hmm. Their offensive line is not good.
1: Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, looking at it, other than Russell O'Koom, uh pro football focus has their uh, center, right guard, and right tackle right now right in like the 60s. Um, 21 pressures, uh, 19 pressures, and 20 pressures by those guys. Mm-hmm. So if the Bills want to get back on track their pass rush, this is the week that they have to do it. Especially if Kellen Clemens is under center, because they cannot lose a game to Kellen Clemens.
4: No, 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 no. If Kellen Clemens is starting, this, <laughs> this turns into a whole different conversation. Yeah. Which is why I've kind of held off on like the deep analysis that I usually do. Because I don't know who's going to be starting the quarterback.
1: Yeah, I just think what's interesting is that Bree, uh, not Breeze, uh, Rivers self reported the concussion. A lot of players won't do that, and you'll hear them say that. So for him to self report it, there's something there.
4: Something's going on. It's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. Now, as far as the defense goes, here's where Bills fans, your butthole better pucker when you hear this. Today, Rob had a tweet that sums up why you all need to be concerned. Rob tweeted out today, Bill's offensive tackles are in for a nightmare Sunday. Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram have combined for 76 tackles, 19 tackles for a loss, 18 sacks, 30 quarterback hits, and 99 pressures. That's from two fucking players. Those guys are beasts on either side of each other. For a little perspective, the entire Bill's defensive
1: line has less than 60 pressures. And they have fourteen sacks on the season.
4: That's it. So those two players have more sacks and almost more than double the pressures that our defensive line as a whole is generated. It speaks volumes to the production that the Chargers are getting from their front four,
1: and which, to the production they're getting out of their secondary.
4: Well, but that's it. I, mm-hmm. I honestly believe that it's a com- it's a combination of things. Your pass rush is working, which makes your secondary better. But that's if your sec- but if your secondary is good. It makes your pass rush better. Right now, Ooh. they're they're feeding off each other. Right now, I mean, Joey Bosa is quietly having. I mean, you ask a Bills fan, "Oh, Joey Bosa, he's good, right?" No one knows. Joey Bosa is quietly having a Pro Bowl season. You won't hear about it on ESPN because he's on a losing football team. You won't hear you won't see photos of him. He's not going to be put in the media, but he is a, a savage out there.
2: I'm surprised he's playing this well because I didn't think that his career would start off that great because he went through that huge holdout in his rookie year, and I thought that would deter him from learning the pro game, and that's why I don't know anything about <laughs> and that's football. Why Chris, and that's
4: why Chris doesn't know anything about football. They're Him and Ingram are one and two in
1: pressures, and they're just wreaking havoc on every offensive lineman. Then they've got – uh, a rotation of defensive tackles that are no slouches to either. Chrissy Kane, uh, Corey Legit, and Darius Phylon also. I think they have yep. eight sacks of their own. I mean, this their is your Their
4: defensive line is sacking quarterbacks at a rate that we haven't seen in a long time. Right. That is absolutely something to take into account. Hey, Dennison, if you're listening, you asshole, <laughs> play action passes and rollout. How about you call a rollout or two? Do not do not allow them to pigeonhole your quarterback and make your offense one-dimensional. One thing
1: that I think that they will have to do for the play-action to work, they can run the ball. They have the worst run defense in the NFL. Joey Bosa has the most uh, missed tackles against the run amongst the fans' Melvin Ingram the second most. Um, <laughs> their linebackers are missing tackles as well. They're struggling in coverage, so I think that Getting the run game going, getting ahead of schedules, getting those uh, second and short, third and short situations. This is a week that they can do it. Rob,
4: Rob I, 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 love, I love your optimism. I think it's cute. <laughs> you, just, you, you just can't talk to me about it now because I, I it's still too raw. It's still too raw to talk to me about optimism. Come Sunday morning, I'll be a raving lunatic again. I will be a raving lunatic wearing my go fuck yourself San Diego Ron Burgundy t-shirt. But until then, you can't talk to me about all the things that the Bills could do right, because right now I don't know that they can do anything right. The all I know is th- Denzel Perryman from the U mm-hmm. is coming back,
1: and he scares me. Oh, no, no, that uh,
4: linebacker, Denzel Perryman, he's a he's a name to look out for, Bills fans. And also, another thing to look out for special teams. Here's where I almost feel like the Bills might have a little bit of an edge. I'm sorry, I just snorted into the microphone. That's my fault. Special teams woes. You're talking about a team that just can't hit field goals. They have lost multiple games off not being able to make field goals.
1: And Travis Benjamin running into the end zone. Travis uh,
4: Benjamin giving the worst play of the year. I, I feel like that play right there, nothing can top the butt fumble as worst play <laughs> of the year. But I'd say that this is a very good runner-up. You you ran backwards 14 yards into the end zone and then got tackled for a touchdown. You're an asshole. Almost as
1: bad as the Bills giving up 14 in zero seconds. But it, that's, well, that's, hey, that's, hey,
4: hey, hey, <laughs> hey, dude, you're hurting me. What I know is that last week, on they gave up a 56-yard touchdown on a fake field goal. I haven't seen a fake field goal out of this special teams unit all I haven't seen a fake a punt fake or a fake field goal or anything else I haven't seen any of that at all this season out of us. But if if we were ever going to try it this is the week because this team has been susceptible to it not just last week. They've gotten fakes on punts and field goals run on them 7 times. 7 times for first downs. That's incredible to me. I honestly believe that this is something that we, you could exploit if you're a coach that gives a shit. Rob, what do you think about that? Um, you know,
1: I don't think McDermott is the type of guy that's gonna.
4: He's not a riverboat. Ga- he, he's not a riverboat gambler.
1: I don't think he's riverboat Ron, man. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I would love to see it. I mean, why not? Way that they played, come out, be aggressive. But seeing a shovel pass of DeMarco just demoralized me, man. I mean, that that play is just stuck in my memory.
4: Our offensive but, um, co- our offensive coordinator won't be aggressive. They're calling a game plan that's not going to get us to success, and our whole team is struggling. That brings us to the predictions portion of the show.
2: Can I start with that, please, Chris? For fuck's sake, Chris, you haven't said a word in a while. Why don't you I, talk to me? Rob, Talk to me, Goose. Rob, Drew, what were you guys doing on December sixth, nineteen
4: eighty one? Nineteen eighty one, I
1: wasn't born. Rob, I was not born. I was. You were
4: <laughs> just, like I was like just swimming like around. All, yeah, just you were a wave. twinkle in your father's eye.
2: Yeah, <laughs> all three of us were swimming around in our dad's sack. I was December sixth, nineteen ninety nine. December. To come on out. December sixth, nineteen eighty one was the last time we won in San Diego. Because now they're LA, but that was the last time we won. We won regular season in San Diego. It's not going to happen. This is this is where this is where the Bills Bills are themselves. We're losing. Drew Brees
4: going to win games okay. in uh, cold weather. So so predict the game, Chris. What do you got? It's going
2: well, the spread's four and a half. So. I'm gonna I, I think the Chargers I think we'll lose by at least a touchdown, so I'm just gonna go uh twenty three sixteen Los Angeles.
4: Drew's
1: eyes are evil right now.
4: <laughs> you folks, he can see me on <laughs> camera. He knows. Rob, what do you what's your prediction for the game?
1: I don't know. I'm wrong every time, so I'm gonna say that the Chargers win. That way the Bills come away with a victory. But honestly, I think if the Bills can somehow find a way to run the ball, they'll win. I don't see them, I'll say 24-17. Bills.
4: 24-17 Bills? Yep. All right. Here's what I'm going to say. I challenge this team, as a season ticket holder, as a longtime fan, I challenge this football team to find its sack. Okay. To a man, you have failed two weeks in a row to do anything that resembled playing NFL-level football. But we all know you're better than what you showed on the field. It's psychological. I don't know what's happening. Something's going on behind the scenes in the locker room. You're all demoralized. None of you are playing with any of the authority that you showed. We had no... Their punter, the Saints punter, didn't punt at all during that game.
1: And he trolled him on Twitter. What kind of punter is going on Twitter and roasting the Bills? Anybody who plays the Bills.
4: Because we <laughs> let punter. him, we let him do it. Uh, the fact is, the fact is, this team needs to get right and get right right now. I'm channeling my inner Tony, uh, my, my inner Tony from any given Sunday. This team either heals and comes together as individuals. <laughs> oh, no, come together as a team, or you will die as individuals. <laughs> that's, that's football, gentlemen. That's all it is. It's the six inches in front of these guys' faces. I want to see them show me that there's some fight left in it. As a season ticket holder who has multiple freezing-ass games to go to, show me that you give a fuck. Show me that there's some fight, that there's some fire left in there because you haven't shown it for two weeks show me that you can find your way back to what got you here to the nfl in the first place because if you go back to that that will give you a better outcome of what i've seen the last two weeks
1: i would just love to have some positive things to write about in my post game so that's why i'm predicting the bills win here um
4: i think the bills win it late field goal Seventeen to fourteen. House money. <laughs> I challenge this defense to stand up, earn your paychecks. Let's go. Okay. Everyone's been down on you for two weeks, and this team comes in and they think that they're going to gut you. They think they're going to leave you dead on the roadside. Yes, another quote from any given Sunday, because that's how I'm feeling right now.
2: Let me indulge. You. Let me indulge oh. both of you right now here. The last last two times we were in San Diego, December eleventh, two thousand eleven. San Diego won 37 to 10 and the to- <coughs> the time before that November 20th 2005 San Diego won that 48 to 10.
4: I don't Post care
2: 2005 I, don't, I, I don't,
4: don't care doesn't matter I I challenge LA's winning this game. I challenge these guys to find themselves let's go don't let me down I said it the bills are winning this football game Seagram's bet Chris let's take it
2: yeah we well we already have a Seagrams bet going right now because this is a podcast and you listen to this shit, I've been writing on my phone the Sabres score, and Benoit Pouillot scored with seven seconds left in the second period, and I said the Sabres will win the game because of momentum. Drew and I have a Seagram's bet on that right now.
4: Absolutely. Maybe Chris can actually get a win this season. Folks, thank you so much for stopping by and listening to our podcast. Rob, why don't you tell the folks where they can find your work?
1: uh Com. you can find me on twitter at rob 619 bills at the billswire on twitter um just thank you guys for having me on you guys are really my favorite podcast you guys have <laughs> don't filter whatsoever i'm not saying this just to say it i love it i listen to every episode i think everyone should so uh just go bills
4: <laughs> go bills hey chris hey guys I'm Drew Gear. that's Chris Krueger, and you've just listened to The Rock PowerPoint.
5: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance.